0: This is Food First Michigan on News Talk 760 WJR. Sponsored by the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Creating a food secure state. And by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan. Now here are your hosts, Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. Welcome everyone. Thanks for listening. In early August of 2020, Governor Whitmer issued Executive Order 167 creating the Food Security Council. In doing so, she shared her concerns about our residents' struggle with food insecurity inside the pandemic, as well as outside. The governor stated, food security is a pressing and persistent problem in Michigan. Despite the tireless work of numerous individuals and groups, many Michigan residents continue to live without reliable, daily access to an adequate amount of affordable, nutritious food. The effects of food insecurity are significant and far-reaching. This problem impacts the educational outcomes of our children, the cost of our healthcare, and the development and stability of our workforce, along with the rates of crime in our communities. COVID-19 has made this problem of food insecurity worse. The pandemic has deeply disrupted well-being of this state's residents and the stability of the economy. The health of Michigan's economy, residents, and communities will benefit from a body focused on formulating a cohesive, collaborative, and actionable plan for achieving food security for all of Michigan residents, both during this pandemic and thereafter. Today, Jerry and I discussed the initial report released by the governor's office and why it is important to the vital work of taking hunger off the table here in Michigan. Come back and be with Jerry and me in just a moment. Welcome back, everyone. It's Jerry Brisson and me, Dr. Phil Knight, here on Food First Michigan. Thanks for joining us, Jerry. Today, we're talking about the governor's uh, task, so to speak, as she formed the Food Security Commission or Food Security Council, I should say, um, right, you know, in early August. And, you know, we had come through about six months then of the pandemic, and it was pretty evident. That people were struggling with the basic need of of food.
1: You know, uh, so I I just want to say wonderful that the that the council exists. That it's it's really um, documenting everything we're learning from the pandemic, and across multiple sectors. Right when I look at the the people that make up the council. Um, the Food Security Council—it's quite a cross-section of people from from various different areas of of the food networks, the the grocers, the the county health departments, people from the legislature—you um, know, specific caregivers who are who are certainly uh, affected by all of this—and and I think it's really a good idea to capture our learnings from the pandemic because it's been so intense and and has taught us so many things about who's hungry and what what happens when that many people get hungry all at once. And so when I look at this first report, my first reaction is, well good. I, I you know, we should really do more of this even as food banks to capture okay, here's fundamentally what happened and here's what we had to do about it. And I know we've got all that information, but to actually summarize it and collect it and put it all together for posterity and to remind us of the things we've learned. And uh, and so it's a nice report. It really does do a good job of laying out you know these three fundamental areas of food supply addressing the need and then the collaboration and infrastructure that's needed for food and nutrition programs all captured in a way that that we can go okay yep that is true, and, and those recommendations are important, not just for the next pandemic, but for even how we operate on a day-in, day-out basis. I mean, there are hundreds of thousands of food insecure people in our state, regardless of whether there's a pandemic. It's even over a million, isn't it, Doctor?
0: 1.3 million uh, and change prior to the pandemic in March. Yeah. Now now we're pushing almost 2 million.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, you know, this is, this is good work and it's good to call us out. And I know when we first talked with the governor about the possibility of this kind of a, of a council, um, nobody had the pandemic in mind. I mean, it was, it was a year or more before the pandemic when that first conversation happened.
0: Yeah. It was uh, probably two years because, um, then candidate Gretchen Whitmer came on our show on this show Um, In February, March uh, of the year before uh, she was announcing, yes, she announced her candidacy for governor. Um, So then we go through the entire first year after she's elected, and boom, here comes March. So uh, you're right. And the good news I take away from that is here is the top administrator uh, the leader in the state of Michigan, the governor of the state, who has prioritized food insecurity. Um, and we talked with her about this opportunity to have a, a, a food security czar, a um, uh, that has evolved into this food security council right here on this show. It's like we almost need a czar to coordinate. This I don't know. Maybe that's a plan. Maybe that's a suggestion. <laughs> yeah. A food
1: czar. I mean, honestly, yeah. that yeah. there's, um, there's might be some merit to that. Maybe we yeah, should work foods that.
0: are nonprofit czar, something like yeah. that. It would be the backbone organization in a collaborative work plan.
1: I think there's that there's might be some real beef to that idea. We let to think about like that. that. Okay, let's eat vegetables.
0: <laughs> yeah, we're true. Yeah. Pretty significant to talk about the power and the influence of this show, as well as the opportunity to. Um, take this conversation change this conversation at the highest levels in our state
1: yep and of course we've we've worked hard for years with a lot of different administrations and a, and a lot of different legislators and a lot of different influencers and each of them has provided something valuable to this work. We continue to be more effective. We continue to reach more food insecure people. But this is certainly a big step, and one that I think is going to live as a as a exclamation point in all this work. And so, really proud of you, Doctor, for chairing this, for you know, uh, getting this group of how many how many people are on the commission? I, I I mean I know there's a number here, but it looks like
0: yeah, there's four legislators. Uh, two from the House, one Republican, one um, Democrat, two from the Senate, one Republican, one Democrat. And so then this made up, as you said, of people from across the state geographically that represent a lot of the food system, but also represent probably some of the underserved clients that that um, that are that exist, you know. And I, I think about... Um, some of the folks that, uh, Tammy Rosa, who's up in uh, Gladstone, um, you know, here is in, uh, in the UP and some of the area that's underserved.
1: Yeah, right and by then, Escanaba.
0: Right, right. Um, then Michelle Schulte, who's at Sutton's Bay, who works very with the, the, the Inner tribal Council. Uh, they've, they have uh, added tremendous value, as every member has. But then you think about there's Don Medley, who is right there from Wayne State. Um, so you can see it's a pretty big geographical area. Uh, that's about as big in Michigan as you can get from the UP down to the down to Detroit. Um, but it also represents a lot of people who have great understandings about food supply. Um, I think about. Um, Uh, Ken Novus, who's our friend, who has been part of the work that we've done with Michigan Milk Producers Association and the UDIM. Um, And so it's uh, Todd Regis, who works in food food supply and represents food workers. Uh, It's a lot of, uh, I can't help, Wade Sires, who works for MSUE, is a food safety expert. So it's, it's a pretty class group of folks. It's, they're a lot of fun, and they're, but they take this work very, very serious.
1: Well, you know, it's a classy group of folks because uh, almost a half a dozen of them have been on our show. Right. <laughs> Right, right. <laughs> so that's yeah. good, right? That's good. We like that. We like the, the fact that we are in conversations with the experts in the field who are, you know, working day in, day out to, to understand these issues and to make a difference and spend their handful of life on something that really affects, as we just said, you know, well over a million Michiganders uh, in good times and over two million now.
0: So, yeah, before we end this segment, Jerry, let's talk about the ones who've been on the show. So Representative Angela Whitworth from Michigan 71st in the House, uh, she's been on the show several times and uh, is certainly a a, uh, a person who is leading in this challenge of food insecurity across the state. Um, a person that we've worked with a lot, Diane Gozinski from Michigan Department of Education. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, I think she and uh, your team at Gleaners has been uh, intimately involved in creating some new possibilities um, for uh, for food distribution across uh, the school network uh, here and 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 really all across Michigan. Um, Dr. Pruitt, you'll remember Dr. Delicia Pruitt, who is uh, the chief medical officer in Sag- Saginaw County at uh Saginaw County Health Department uh great story powerful oh, man. story
1: her father uh being a doctor and uh she's up there at Central Michigan University too doing work for the university i mean what a great uh amount of work she's doing and i saw you know Lou Rubel on the list and uh you know, another another wonderful guest that we've had and someone with a lot of responsibility at uh, the Department of Health and Human Services. Uh, you know, it's uh, Lori Salatoro uh, from the Michigan Health Endowment Fund. I mean, she's been on our show talking about how they've invested in this issue. And of course, they've done a lot for the Food Bank Council as well. You mentioned Ken Nobis, uh, mm-hmm. he's been on the show. Um, You know, and so it seems to me that if you want to be in one of these state uh, councils, you better be on our show. That's what I'm taking from all of this.
0: (laughs) That's right. Pretty much. Well, yes, it's a great group. And um, when we come back, let's talk a bit about the report. Folks, you can find the report at our website, fbcmich.org, Food Bank Council, Michigan, fbcmich.org. It's one of the first things you see when you when you arrive at that uh, uh, website and you can uh, see the initial report about COVID-19's impact on food security across Michigan. That's Jerry Brisson, I'm Dr. Phil Knight. We're back in just a moment. contact the Food Bank Council of Michigan at fbcmich.org. Now back to more Food First Michigan with Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. Thanks for being with us, everyone. Jerry Brisson, Dr. Phil Knight here. We're discussing today on the show the Food Security Council's initial report um, that we were tasked with by the governor and Executive Order 167 to really discover what were the effects of um COVID-19 had on food insecurity across the state. Now, it was a challenge before this, Jerry, we know this, because you guys, across this Food Food Bank Council of Michigan network, you do this work every day. And like we said, it was about 1.3 million folks, um, about 350 of those prior to the pandemic were children, but now we're pushing almost 2 million, and about 600,000 of those are children. So from the boots on the ground up, I think what we've discovered and are reporting in this initial report from COVID-19, um, you've known, you've seen, our food bankers have seen with a boots on the ground uh, viewpoint. You've seen this rise in people and and populations.
1: Yeah, and it's nice to have it validated in an official way. I mean, when you look at just the footnotes in the report and the information that was collected from multiple sources across the state, um, to take our experience and then to totally validate it and say, it in fact happened pretty much the way you saw and here's the numbers that support it. I mean, those are important things because when you, if you don't have that kind of research and you don't have that kind of formal data collection, when you try to solve problems, people go, really, how do we know? You know what i mean oh well i didn't see that and so now you've got it in front of you and while most people are very cooperative and obviously we have a lot of very strong relationships there are always some people that doubt you know ah sure that's what you say but that's your job to say that well the truth of the matter is we don't say it because it's our job we say it because it's true and what our job is is to tell the truth and so here we are again you know i think you know even even the 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 findings, you know, in very bold statements, I read them and said, this is exactly what happened and this is the truth. The food supply remained plentiful, but panic buying and the need for repackaging posed significant challenges to to making that food available uh, when it was needed, which was pretty much immediately. I mean, when the stores were running out of products, I mean, from you know, obviously non-food items like toilet paper to, to basic canned goods, people freaked out. They had, many of them, never in their life experienced a time where they couldn't get whatever they wanted at the store. Now, right. doctor, how many years were you in Africa? Nine and a half. And how many of those years could you get whatever you wanted at the store? None. None, right. <laughs> so it was a it was a very unusual experience here that's more common in other places of the world. We're not used to that, right? We're right. not used to that. So when it happened, people didn't know how to feel. They didn't know how to think. They didn't know, so what did they do? They charged into the store and and tried to get everything they could and, and take it home. right? Yeah. Well, I mean, acknowledging that and then saying, so here's what we can do about that in the future. You know we can we can actually have strategies that address panic buying that reassure people in multiple languages and multiple cultural ways to say you don't need to do that. Here, right. there, there's enough food, and here's what has to happen. And how do we actually implement that? Well, you can't implement it if people don't even believe it happened. Right. Right. So the report says it happened we know it happened but to actually have it in front of us where we can use it to create solutions is very very helpful and i know that might seem like um you know not the most impactful um example but in truth at that time that was a huge problem for the food supply uh chain and for food banks was dealing with people coming because they just need food they just need food they're afraid we're not going to have food next week
0: well it, you know, it, it, it might not be the sexiest recommendation that we put out there, but it was one of the first problems that we encountered in the pandemic. Um, I don't know how many uh, media interviews that I did um, in in April and May, and I always mentioned this, and it was it was a hook. It was something that the media folks found interesting because I would say, look, we don't have a food shortage. But here's what's happening. When a, when a family goes in to buy groceries now, they would normally buy six cans of green beans. Now they're taking a case. And that's putting pressure on the retailer. Well, i got to replace that case. Yep. And so that's, that's shorting those of us in emergency food within the supply chain. And, you know, we were able to uh, develop a partnership with uh, the state of Michigan uh, and FEMA as well as Meyer so that we could address some of those uh, food shortages uh, that really weren't short, we were just overbuying, and that that created stress on the system. Uh, So to have expertise on the council, like we mentioned in the first segment, that understand this and could say, hey, you know, well, here's another pressure point on the supply chain. We're not recycling right now, so there's not a food shortage, there's an aluminum shortage. And that's one of the reasons why you're not able... And then to talk about, well, what about meat? Well, some of the the meat processing plants had a COVID outbreak. So they had to shut down for a period of days and weeks in order to do all the things they had to do to get back online. Well, that caused, that caused a momentary uh, shortage in supply, but it doesn't mean we didn't have meet out there that could be you know it was just part of the what we were dealing with and it was great to have people who understood this and could explain it and we want to develop a way to get that messaging out um and so you see that as one of the recommendations
1: so let's talk about cohesive collective and actionable those were the three words that that you used in your monologue to describe what we hope the plan was going to be cohesive collect uh collective and actionable did i get that right yes and uh so we say okay so we've got all these experts they all agree this is what happened uh, we're, we, we collectively put this all together. So what becomes actionable in this? When we talk about this food supply issue and panic buying, what becomes actionable so that we can uh, make sure that this doesn't happen again specifically in a pandemic, but also maybe helps us understand better how to make the food supply chain more durable or, or more responsive to need?
0: Yeah, so I think one of the things that we just talked about uh, was messaging about the specific problem of, of panic buying and, and then under helping everyone understand that there are different levels here. Like, who would have ever thought that an aluminum shortage would affect the supply chain? Right. You know? Right. But so I think that what coming to an understanding about the food supply in here in America is I walked away from this report with this. Wow, it is really robust. There's a lot of food, and it's also pretty fragile. And so we had just had to come to a better understanding about how does food get to us uh, so that we have access to it.
1: Yeah, and I really like things like uh, one of the actionable items was to secure some additional repackaging equipment or services so that when you have this major shift between restaurants and and, uh, banquet providers of food to people cooking at home you can quickly repackage that food in the food supply chain, it reduces the waste, it speeds up the amount of food available to people. And besides that, it might give us an opportunity as we're thinking about low cost ways to rescue food from farms, just as an ongoing basis. If we know that capacity is out there, maybe there'd be a way to turn that on in normal times to say, hey, at the end of your shift, if you've got two hours left, could you use that other equipment and help the food banks? And you know, I just think, unlocking the available pounds of food that go to waste on an ongoing basis, this may have a really practical impact, not just for pandemics, but for every day.
0: Sure. That's, that's a great point. And one that's we, you know, has been brought up and we just didn't understand. I just think there's a lot of um, appreciation for the food supply chain, but we still have a good bit of ignorance. And, and you know like people would, would say oh wait the schools are closed or restaurants are closed banquet centers are closed casinos are closed hotels are pretty you know they're not doing these conferences and stuff just go get that food food banks and distribute that well that's coming in an industrial size can yeah you know number 10 can as we say well that's a little hard to distribute to a family uh, who's maybe riding the bus to come and get food at a distribution. So it was like that, and we learned this from when Governor Whitmer asked the automobile industry to um, repurpose their production lines to make ventilators and other PPE equipment. And we're like, okay, well maybe the food processors could do this too. And as you say, maybe we could do this in in a after hours kind of a, uh, opportunity because what do we talk about how many millions of pounds are going to waste every year and i think you talk about we don't have to capture all those we could just get the next five million and it'd make a tremendous difference in yeah. our mission
1: that's exactly right and when you you know you break the problem down into bite-sized chunks and you solve one chunk at a time or it's like it's like i think you said this on the last show you know you start with what's possible Uh, St.
0: Francis said, you start by doing what's necessary, then you do what's possible, and before you know it, you'll be doing the impossible.
1: There we go. You know, one of the other interesting ideas on food supply was thinking about how the workforce could be redistributed in different ways when, when you're suddenly out of work in one area, how can you be put to work in another area of great need, and particularly um, in in the volunteer shortages we've we had um, and still right. and still have? Now it's hard for people, especially when you don't know what's safe and what's not safe. But what we do know is that we haven't had any outbreaks in food banks, and so following safety pr- protocols works, and we can actually safely use volunteers. But people are afraid. So how do we get people? Um, who are displaced, to, be, to help replace some of these um, volunteers throughout our, our food banks, and I know other organization as well, to work in safe settings and still be able to get paid. I mean, you know, if you're gonna pay unemployment or other benefits, wouldn't it be a better use of that money to pay people to do something useful? And I think we can all agree, many, many people would happily do that. And so, I, again, it was a very actionable and I thought very practical uh, recommendation that came out of the report to, to actually set that up so if it were, were to happen again, you would be able to streamline that process. I, I really like that a lot.
0: Well, thanks, Jerry. It's, uh, it's, it's been a great experience thus far, and we're going to continue. Jerry and I are going to continue as well talking about the initial report from the Food Security Council. And uh, here's a little teaser for the next section. One of our own at the Food Bank Council is really tremendously responsible for uh, the, the, the outline and the writing and the pulling together of all this information. We'll tell you who that is in the next segment. You come back and be with us. Food First Michigan. Once again, here's Phil and Jerry. Welcome back, everyone. Jerry, who do you think on the Food Bank Council of Michigan volunteered and has given so much of herself in order to help this uh, report
1: come to life. It's got to be Dr. Opal.
0: Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Don Opal. She's wonderful, and we're so lucky to have her with us. And uh, you know, as a as a researcher, um, really understands not only the significance of compiling this but how to do it in a way that you can make it understandable for the average person she's really really good at it
0: so you know this week um uh, or recently i should say the governor announced not just this report but she did a press conference about uh the efforts uh, that have been uh, focused on food security during the pandemic um, she asked me to come and and be a part of that and i was I was honored to do that. In order to help me prepare for that, I asked Dr. Opal, Dawn Opal on the Food Bank Council team to uh, give me her impressions of what's, what's the three things that stand out to you from this report. So I want to give you a couple of those and get your reactions. Um, Dawn said the COVID-19 pandemic uh, has, has made the problem of food insecurity worse, right? And here's what she said at this, uh, the rising unemployment, school closures, um, but it also has created new food insecure individuals, people who've never needed emergency food before. And at the same time, many who faced food security pre-COVID-19 have become more vulnerable. Specifically, older adults, those quarantined are at greater health with individuals with disabilities and those without transportation. These are the gaps, Jerry, that even in blue skies when we're doing our work, maybe we're not we're not being as effective with these populations as we need to be.
1: You know it's it's a good reminder of how this all started and that we're we're still uh, you know just one generation into, really trying to solve this problem. So, you know, when, when food banks got started, what we did was we said we got to capture food that's going to waste and get it to the churches and the pantries that are feeding people, and that's what we're going to do. And so as a result, there was no conversation about transportation back in those days. Nothing, <laughs> nothing at all like it, right? It, it just wasn't, it wasn't, you know, not only were we not big enough to even think about that, but we were just trying to do something really practical. But now we can see after a generation of doing this that there's so much benefit to solving this problem. We should be thinking in more sophisticated ways about who's being served and who's not being served and what does it cost and and what are the barriers to people having access to sufficient healthy food. So, I mean, you know, this is is how this has evolved and I think it's absolutely right for the report to call it out and say, you know, it's already uh, true that there are gaps in service and the pandemic highlighted those gaps. It amplified those gaps. It made us even more aware of our vulnerable seniors, particularly who, who don't have regular access because of mobility issues, whether that's physical limitations or they don't have a car or they don't have anyone else in their immediate life who has a car that can that can do grocery shopping for them. And we even learned that some seniors who have sufficient money, they can afford to get groceries you know you might remember that to get groceries delivered for about a month or six weeks the waiting list was so long you know i mean amplifying um that people need help right now and starting to think about how do we make sure we have that in place is going to help us solve uh, a lot of immediate problems as well as hel- ensuring against another pandemic at some point in time
0: absolutely well there's some things that we're learning happens Inside the pandemic, maybe we didn't see as clearly as we needed to under blue skies That was on the front side But now as we move through the hopefully the end of the pandemic and days ahead We'll take these lessons we learned inside and apply them to our work outside Here's one other thing and then we got to take a quick break High food insecurity rates that Dawn's talking about also correlate with pronounced racial disparities in a manner similar the health disparities, and COVID-19 health outcomes. It's amazing the parallels you see, and the Food Security Council is having conversations with the, the Poverty uh, uh, Task Force as well as the Health uh, Care Task Force that's focused on racial disparities as well. It's amazing the correlation.
1: Yeah, amazing and sad, right? Uh, amazing and challenging for those of us that care about people no matter where they're coming from or who they are. I mean, to to know that some communities have every issue exacerbated in their community um, is something that we should not be satisfied with. We should not be happy to live that way, and, and we should all feel somewhat motivated to address those things because not only isn't it fair, but the suffering that's caused by compounded Um, lack of access to resources is substantial so you know really looking at that carefully and doing something you know again cohesive collective and actionable uh, that's 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 important
0: it is jerry and i are back in just a moment to wrap up this edition of food first michigan Thanks for listening, everyone. Jerry and Dr. Phil Knight here, and it's Food First Michigan. Jerry, this report, I think, um, has a lot of potential. Let me, let me re-say that. I think this Food Security Council and the reports that come out of it have a real opportunity to influence this issue for years to come. Because this is the initial report we're talking about today, but we've been tasked, to look at food insecurity outside the pandemic, under blue skies as well, and to create the same type of plan that's, that's actionable. Um, and I think there's so much room for improvement there that again, I don't really see uh, a lot of uh, territory being threatened here when we talk about who wins when we can create food security across the state
1: sure of course we all win and and we know that because we all win drawing attention to how we win is going to help us make the case for why we should have things like foods medicine right we should have things like the ability for people who are food insecure and particularly if they're taking prescription medicine that requires food to be taken with it that they get food as far as part of their prescription Right, I mean that should just happen. Now, of course, it's it, nothing just happens, right? But these, these types of efforts that draw attention to the issue and the health disparities and the other things that you've just mentioned, they are the things that help us make that case for why state and federal funds that are being spent on healthcare are being overspent because we're not addressing food insecurity as part of people's health care planning so I know you know it's it all of these things connect and that's why the commission is made up of people f- from places like Blue Cross Blue Shield who know these things are true and who can help make the case in the long run for what kinds of policies and practices we need to have to have a food secure state well that you're talking
0: a lot about health Outcomes. Let me throw education outcomes there. Something we've had on this show as an emphasis for years now that if they're not well fed, they won't be well read. And third grade reading level by third grade is the law in Michigan, but right. it's also the best indicator for who's going to graduate. Yep. So, which in turn affects the workforce. So, you know, if we want a better, greater, more a robust workforce, let's make sure that everybody has the tools they need in order to be able to read at third grade reading level. Yep.
1: yep. So is it all a, makes it, sense it, to me.
0: It's logical, right? But, you know, I understand, like you said, things take time. I mean, it took us about 100 years to put wheels on, an, on a suitcase. So <laughs>
1: <laughs> We're going to do better than that, doctor. We are uh, going to do better. Well, Jerry, here's
0: the governor at a press conference talking about why this um, issue of food security is so important to her.
1: COVID-19 has negatively affected food security for so many Michiganders. We have taken many actions during the last 10 months to make sure Michiganders have access to healthy food. No family should have to worry about how they're going to put food on the table, especially during a public health worldwide pandemic.
0: The Food Bank Council of Michigan and the Food Security Council believe food security is one of the issues that can unite us. Hunger isn't partisan. It isn't even bipartisan. It's nonpartisan. We know this because we can all agree that two words that should never go together our child and hunger so Jerry that was uh that was a highlight
1: yep no doubt about it it was a high moment great to see you there with the governor doctor makes us all proud makes us proud of you proud of the work and it continues to reinforce the significance of putting food first that's that's how I see it and uh I hope you felt it I did thank
0: you well time for a little food for thought and you said it Jerry. By putting and keeping food first, we will have better educational outcomes, better health outcomes, and better workforce potential as we move forward. That's why here, it's important to keep food first, folks. Food first.
1: Food First
0: Michigan, presented by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and by the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food secure state.